This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. He was diaper dad. There was a poopy diaper. He was on that. You have to override the sense of, quote, I have to do it all myself. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we find out whether it's possible to be a graduate student and start a family. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 98. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Dan, I just got to tell you, we are not alone. I hear extra people on the line. Who do we have? Hi, Vivian. Hi, guys. Vivian is a good friend of ours that uh, we knew through uh, previous podcast interactions, but then we actually met Vivian in real life when we were out in Nashville. The best thing about Vivian, she's a Patreon sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) Big supporter of the ethanol section. Vivian, how has your life changed for the better since you became a Hello PhD Patreon Patreon? I really, yeah, I really feel like I'm doing my part to contribute to a better world. You have to plant a seed to to reap a harvest. Would you say your your experiments immediately started working better when you? Well, I I will be honest and say that um, I had my last bout of imposter syndrome when I started listening to the show, but it's been completely abolished. You, know, you heard the two listening. actual imposters and decided, hey, I'm better than those guys. <laughs> better than those jokers. <laughs> At least I'm better than them. <laughs> exactly. Well, we will get to the reason why you are here on the line with us. But, of course, we have to start with some ethanol. And you got to choose it today. What do you have laying around? Um, so I picked um, the Boda Box Malbec. It's probably super cheap. I'm drinking it out of a plastic cup, just like a good graduate student should. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I picked it up for, I think it was on sale today for $16.99. And, and that was for the big bo- it's like the four three, bottles. And it's three, yeah, four bottles. Four bottles worth. Do you know what year you got? Because it's marked on the side. I have, um, I have no clue, um, but it's probably been sitting on my microwave for several months, and it's still good. It's aging. It's perfect. We have the... Dan, Just he was kind enough to pick some up on the way over, so we would have the same ethanol. We have the 2016 vintage. Here. 2016. And here's my favorite part about this, Vivian, is that uh, on the box, it's got a little label. It says 2016 Malbec, and then it says Best Buy Wine Enthusiast, and it says 2013 Malbec. So they're telling us that the wine we're not drinking was the best that doesn't buy. Make any sense. Three years ago, this was the best. Yeah. Anyway, it tastes pretty good. What do you it, think? It, actually, yeah. I think it's pretty good. This is. I've had a few different Boda boxes, and there's some I like. There's some I don't like. This one's good. This one's very, does, very drinkable. Does this feel very drinkable on theme for you too? Is it is it Malbecy? Josh is a. a pretty snobby wine drinker so he will actually tell us what oh, it yeah. tastes like a malbec there there is a malbec that i like quite a bit that my wife and i always get there's the sushi restaurant that has half price wine on sunday and that's our go-to date night it's the padrillo mm-hmm. malbec from argentina and it is so good i don't always like malbecs but this reminds me quite a bit of it and one bottle of that is the same price as four bottles worth of this so i might have to switch <laughs> no Bargain yeah buy. that's amazing yeah, it's like 16 dollars a bottle and this is $16 wow. for four bottles. So, mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you for taking us to a, a, a class up from our beer. We're drinking wine tonight <laughs> and very pleased to be doing it. Yeah, this is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I'm enjoying it. Dan, besides being excited about this wine in a box, I'm also excited we have a new Patreon patron. Who do we have, Josh? want to give a special thanks to Joe, who just joined our growing group of Patreon patrons. All right. Thank you, Joe. And we will uh, we'll see you in our private Slack channel just for our patrons. We will also take the time to remember that Promega is hosting a special webinar coming up on September 11th, 2018. They're going to have two amplification experts that will be hosting a live webinar to answer all of your questions about ensuring a successful PCR every time. Josh, I know that we do not like failed PCRs. You know, I was thinking about it, and I'm pretty sure in my time in lab, in my many years of lab, I think PCR is probably the procedure I did the most. So you were always successful each and every time. Amazing. I wish that I had two amplification experts who could answer my questions. Well, you will on September 11th. Uh, And if you have any questions that you would like to ask, you can submit them along with your registration by August 17th. Just go to promega.com slash hello PCR. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into our topic. We actually got a question written in the comments of our website. Not everybody knows that you can leave comments on our website. We have a website? We do. HelloPhD.com. Check it out. I spend hours on it. Um, and You actually do. I have to say this every so often. Dan puts a lot of work into the show notes. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and some of the show notes are just really generic high points of, of what's covered on the podcast. But they are a good read. I would encourage our listeners to check out the show notes of our podcast episodes. Dan spends a lot of time on this. Appreciate you saying that, Josh. Well, uh, each episode has its own post, so you can go read about uh, at least at least some description of what we talked about that week. But uh, somebody left a comment in the comment section of one of the episodes. His name is Jay. And he said, so I have a question for the next podcast. How is it to be a dad-to-be and doing your PhD? Any insights or collective info? So right now, me and my half, we are going through the process and we are more than excited. We live in a nice parenthood support system, Sweden, and I am in the middle of my PhD and my other half is about to finish in a couple of months. So we are not worried more than to be good parents, but we would love to hear about others' parenthood experience while doing the PhD. Thanks. And, you know, we have long wanted to do a, an episode on how to actually get through graduate school if you have this other immense challenge, which is called parenting. And Vivian has lived through this. Still living through it. <laughs> Currently living through it. Hence the wine. Uh, we, so, so we have received this question several times since we started the show. But Dan and I, I mean, we obviously talk about having children quite often, but neither of us had children while in graduate school. And I have to say, I don't think I could have done it. I, I can't imagine now. It's it's really hard as a grown-up adult with a <laughs> nine-to-five job, let alone somebody <laughs> working in a lab. So um, we, we felt like this wasn't one that we could speak to directly, and we found somebody who could. That's me. Yeah, so, so Vivian, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, and a little bit about your journey through parenthood and grad school. Sure. Um, so my name is Vivian, and um, I'm a neuroscience PhD candidate, and I specifically work on glia, 
just putting my plug out there for glia it's not all about neurons woo, woo. i worked on glia as well oh nice so my story with children um begins in my first year of graduate school actually so i started school in 2013 uh in the summer i got married that fall and was pregnant several months later. So I hadn't even been in grad school for six months before uh, we knew that we would be having a child, my husband and wow. I. I, rem- I remember one time uh, when I got married and got a new job and bought a house, and I thought, wow, that's a lot of life changes for one small period of time. <laughs> yeah. y- you got married, started graduate school, which is six life changes, and <laughs> were pregnant. Yeah, in retrospect, um, I don't think I thought a lot about it. I just kind of thought like, well, I want to do grad school and I want to have a child, so I'm just going to do it. But, you know, that's not necessarily great advice for everybody. I'm not even sure it was good advice for me, but, um, you know, that's how the cookie crumbled. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to how you dealt with this, but um, do you have a sense for people who are maybe considering going to grad school and or thinking about having kids, is there is there a way for them to know whether it's the right choice? Yeah, I think that ultimately, if having a child is something you really want to do and starting a family is something you really want to do, it shouldn't matter where you are in life, really, to a large extent. Because at the end of the day, uh, family is, in my opinion, one of the most important things because, like, your PhD is not going to, like, hold your hand, you know, through an illness or hard times in your life. Um, So I tend to think that making an investment in family is probably more important than anything else that you're currently doing. It's, if you're starting graduate school, I can see how it'd be kind of daunting. But I'd like I said, I don't think there's a better time or a worse time. It, as you guys know, it's going to be hard no matter what time it happens. So there really is no best time to do it. I would say if it's something you feel comfortable, like you want to do it in your heart, you know you want to do it, just go for it. And I'll follow that up by saying that you're going to create in graduate school an environment with, filled with people, humans, ones who are going to recognize and understand the investments you want to make in your family and your life outside lab. And I would advise people not to surround themselves with individuals who can't understand those choices because that's not going to be, they're not going to be very forgiving when anything outside of lab work happens. You know, if somebody passes away or if you have weddings you need to go to or if you want to have a child, you need people around you who are going to be welcoming and supportive. Yeah, I heard some advice. I was listening to a panel and, and the topic was on selecting a postdoc advisor. And mm-hmm. one of the questions from an audience member was about, you know, it was a grad student who was wanting to start a family during her postdoc. And is that something she should disclose, you know, as she's looking for a postdoc advisor? And, and I remember one comment that, that one of the panelists who was a faculty member said, and that advice was, well, yeah, you should disclose because if it's something that they are going to give you a hard time about, if that's the reality, wouldn't you want to know that before you join their lab? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this, this very, something, something very similar happened to me. So, um, you know, in our program, 
we have to do three rotations in the first year, and then you have to choose who you want to be with, whose lab you want to be in. And it's like dating. It is basically, you know, after a couple of months, you're like, eh, it's not really going to work out between the two of us. <laughs> it's not <laughs> you. It's not it's that me. into yeah. your. It's not yeah, me. It's, it's you. not into you. <laughs> totally. Um, but so I was choosing between two possible mentors. I found both of the projects interesting, but uh, one of the individuals uh, was very stoic and didn't say a whole lot. But when he did say something, it could be cutting and I could just see myself like wilting in that environment if I came up to him and said like, guess what? Like in six months, I'm going to have a baby. I just really, I didn't feel comfortable in that situation. Like I didn't feel like he was going to be very amenable to that. And so the other guy whose lab I was interested in, like he has two young kids. He's actually my mentor now. Um, And he has two young kids and he was like very chill and talkative. And from the get go, I like felt like maybe we could level with each other about like family life and the commitments that we have to make outside of lab. And, you know, cause there were days that he wouldn't be able to come in because his daughter was sick or something like that. So I knew that I was in a place where that was going to be acceptable. And, uh, yeah, so I totally understand that. Like you need to get that stuff out there and just be true to yourself and to others that like, these are your expectations. I think that's good advice, particularly because the difference between me before I had kids and me after I had kids is my level of understanding about kids. So, (laughs) you know, I used to go to a restaurant as a 25-year-old and say, why are those kids being loud? And the kids on the plane are so annoying. Why are those kids crying? Now I get on a plane and kids are crying and I'm like, oh, those poor parents, what can I do to help those kids? I just feel so terrible for them. So um, I think knowing about the, the... kind of family status of your mentor, although I'm sure it's totally illegal to ask, is something <laughs> useful to, to suss out. Yeah, absolutely. I feel super, uh, feel super selfish now because when I'm on a plane and I hear kids crying, my first thought is, I'm glad those aren't my kids. <laughs> That's the other <laughs> side of that coin. Yeah. I put my headphones yeah. on and relax. I was going to say one of, the, um, one of the perks to now being a seasoned mother, because I have two kids now, is that, uh, you know, I've mastered the ability to just, like, filter out the crying, you know? Because you have to, you know, when you have a kid, like, they're, you know, you're in the car and somebody's hungry and they're screaming about it, but there's literally nothing you can do because you're driving. So you just have to kind of let go of that part of, you know, that part of your sensory experience. So you can just zone it out. And so now when I'm on planes and I, I hear kids screaming, um, I first offer any help that I can provide. And then secondly, when they say no, which is almost inevitable, um, I just zone it out. It's a superpower. Also helpful yeah. when other grad students and postdocs in your lab are crying. You can just tune it out <laughs> and focus on your experiments. <laughs> yep. So, so Vivian, so you now are going through graduate school and you have, you have two small kids. So can you give us some... How do you do it? <laughs> That's what he's trying to say. How do you do it? Yeah, I guess, I guess give us some, some things you have learned, some, some tips that you've learned that maybe have helped you or advice maybe you would give to others out there who are parents while in grad school or they're considering starting a family while in grad school. What, or as what a advice? postdoc, yeah. Or as a postdoc, yeah. Yeah, yeah at any point. Um, so I think my first piece of advice would be to um, set up a support system. And that, I think, entails 
no, have, you know, being explicit with your mentor about what's going to be happening and kind of what you expect will come after the baby is born. It also means connecting with your lab mates because they may end up um, doing things for you that um, while you're away. For example, you know, I have a mouse colony that I work with pretty exclusively, but I had to enlist um, an undergraduate who works in our lab to maintain that colony and um, collect specimens when I needed her to. So that's another really important level of organization. That's an amazing undergrad student as well, because you said undergrad or grad student? She's an undergrad and she is phenomenal. Yeah, it's one thing to be like, could you feed my dog while I'm away? It's another thing to say, (laughs) could you collect samples from my mouse colony? That's That's a heavy lift. Well, you know, also I think it speaks to the the mentorship ability of the graduate Clearly. student who was overseeing her. <laughs> Clearly, well done. No, she's and she's really she's really great. I am every time I talk to her, I'm like I'm so thankful for you. But it's so important because if you have cell cultures, if you have uh, experiments that need to run, things that are on time points, whatever it is, and you're going to be out for a few weeks, you don't want that to all go away. And it's not. I guess you don't always know when you're going to be out of the lab for maternity leave. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you may plan ahead and take a few weeks off, but sometimes that's not a luxury you have. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that is a major problem for a lot of people who are uh, a lot of your listeners. Well, a lot of people in general, but um, in particular graduate students who may not have the financial resources that are required to like take um, take a significant amount of time off. I think that you have to kind of plan for the worst, hope for the best, kind of thing. Um, so then, after after the kind of like situation in lab has been taken care of, you know, you have a support system there. It's also important to figure out what your support system is going to be at home. Um, now you certainly have your partner. You want to make sure, um, in my opinion. Uh, even though it's not a tra- it's not a traditional setup in the family, but you want to make sure that your partner is on board to do as much of the work as you are. Um, certainly, you know, being a mother, that means that you're gonna you're gonna have a, a whole host of roles that your husband or your other partner can't fulfill. But there are plenty of things that they can do. So just kind of uh, maybe talk about like what are some things that like both of us can do, but like, maybe you should take care of. Like, I know if I have a friend, um, whose husband was like, he was diaper dad. There was a poopy diaper. He was on that. And that was his deal. And actually that's, that's a great, those are great ways to help, um, a new mother because that's a time when she can go to the bathroom because little babies, they're just like, they're just stuck on you like Velcro until somebody can peel them off. 24 hours a day. This is not exactly. a, a morning and then you get the afternoon off kind of thing. Yeah. Either. No, no. So you got to take breaks when you can get them. So uh, that's an example of how like, you know, you might think, you know, as the father, you might think that something like that is inconsequential, but it is not. And those those are foundations of a good relationship with your partner and with the baby. Um so I think communicating with your partner about the role, the jobs that are going to need to be done and who can kind of take over what is good. And then also if you can um, recruit parents or um, other relatives to come help you. I know that's sometimes difficult because a lot of people who are doing graduate school, they've moved away from their hometown or their home country. But these people, they want to see their grandchildren. They want to see their nieces and nephews. So um, you can all just 
doesn't hurt to ask if somebody could come stay with you for the first month. Were you in a new two. place when you when you had your first kid? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I was in Washington, D.C., and uh, my family and my husband's family, they don't live in the United States. They live in Europe. But when my daughter was an infant, I don't. I really did not utilize my family enough. I didn't reach out to them and say, like, I'm drowning here. Like, come save me. So the second time around, I knew how important that was. And so the first month of my son's life, I had my mom there. And then the second month, I had my mother-in-law. And I just really made sure to kind of, like, book slots with like different family members because it's an ongoing thing, you know, like you should always take advantage of the help that you can get. And so I think putting feelers out there, um, for that support is really important. So that's challenging because you probably didn't have a lot of other friend contacts in the area yet either. If you had just started, you didn't have somebody set up the meal train for you or the online delivery of, you know, goodies. And yeah, and that's, I don't know, those things help because planning even a dinner is difficult when a baby is yeah. new. Yeah. I think this one of the other pieces of advice that I would give that kind of like um, goes well, n- goes nicely with this is that you have to override the sense of, quote, I have to do it all myself that we often have in the lab as scientists. For example, I had another, I had an undergraduate student, another one um, working with me and she was much less capable and I would have her do a PCR and it would turn out great. And then I'd have her do another one with another set of samples and it would be like so different and so bizarre that I'd go to her and say, so what happened? And she would be like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, Like I took a few notes, but none of them are helpful in determining what happened. And this kind of cultivated feeling of, I need to do it myself because if I'm not the one, if I don't do it with my own hands, I can't really trust that it's been done correctly. And this is something that really, really carries over into parenthood, especially for mothers who take on all the diaper changing and all the feeding and all the rocking to sleep. That can be really taxing. And as much as you can find ways to, to help yourself and to get help from other people. And like you mentioned, if that means um, signing up for one of those, I know I had some friends who signed up for like Blue Apron or some similar programs so that like a couple nights a week they would have, there even maybe like dinner delivery services where there is no cooking involved. But little things like that um, can really make the difference. And even having, uh, if you have friends in the area, asking them to come over and if they'd be willing to come over and take the baby for two hours or something like that so that you can rest and, you know, go for a walk or whatever, like anything that you can get. Yeah. That um, makes a lot of sense. Makes so much sense. So one thing I think Dan and I have both noticed, I know Dan and I both in our labs, when we were grad students, even though we didn't have kids, there were other individuals who did. And one thing that was very obvious about them was even though they might have been in the lab, less hours than we were because they had to do daycare drop-off or school pickup or going to appointments. When they were at work, they seemed to be so efficient at getting things done. Is that something you could talk a little bit about or that you've noticed since becoming a parent? Yes, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when I think about that, I think about something that one of my professors said, which is you need to figure out how to work smarter, not work harder. And, um, I think that's a really good mantra to have. So um, I think, um, like you said, you de- when you have kids, 
Uh, there's definitely less time that you can spend in lab. And when you're there, you need to use that time as efficiently as possible. Sometimes when you're starting out on a project, that can be a little bit difficult because you're not really sure what your questions are. But once you once you kind of get you do some preliminary um, experiments and you kind of figure stuff out, it's helpful to create kind of like a weekly routine. So, um, for example, one week I might be like, okay, I have this conditional knockout mouse. How many oligodendrocytes do these mice have in their brains? Like, that's my question. And that's solved by a simple immunofluorescent stain uh, with an oligodendrocyte marker. So, like, that's what's on my plate for the week. Monday and Tuesday would be staining days where I just focus on the staining. And Wednesday would be a day where I spend the whole day or the time that I have on the microscope. And then Thursday would be spent quantifying. And then Friday would be crunching the numbers, making a figure, and seeing what questions logically follow from uh, from those data. And um, this makes it really simple so that you don't really have to think about what comes the next day. And you can keep momentum um, up because when you have kids and you go on maternity leave or if a child is sick, for a week, sometimes that can really derail you and it takes a while, derail you in terms of experiments and just take a while to, you know, get things back on track. And so if you have this kind of weekly routine that you do, all you need to do is like insert the new question that you're going to be working on that week. And so it can help maintain momentum. So when you, when you make the plan for the week, it's written down or you kind of just keep it in your head and you know, next Thursday is going to be microscope day. I need to schedule that. It's written down. Yeah, it's definitely written down because, um, you know, after a while, a lot of the experiments kind of blend together. And so it's very good to write down for yourself. Like I'm doing IHC 730-2018, like the date, what it is, what the markers are that you're going to use, things like that. Because um, as you guys know, like it's, you can be pretty frazzled with kids after you like get them wrapped up and, you know, throw them in take care, you get to the lab and it, you don't want to have to spend a lot of time trying to, you know, find your footing. You just want to be able to look at something and be like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm doing. So it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is planning and, and being intentional about how you use your time. And, you know, this advice would be super helpful for all grad students, whether they're parents yeah. or not. I think it sounds like, and this has certainly been true true for me, too, is parenting forces you to do that to get you don't the have a choice. Done. Yeah, um, but you know if if we have listeners who are lis- who are listening to this right now, grad students or postdocs, there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of advice that you're giving right now that I think is very useful and very applicable to all students and postdocs out there. It's true. Yeah, though, I agree. You know, one of the differences I'm, I'm thinking back to having very young babies. And I remember there are long stretches of time where, you ha- where you're holding a baby or, or you're near a baby and you have nothing else to do. So the room is dark. You don't have, you know, you're not on your phone. You're just sitting rocking a baby with just your mind. And I feel like that is a perfect time to plan out your experiments, right? To think Absolutely. through your data, <laughs> to decide what you're going to do next week. Uh, I don't know if you can have a piece of paper there to write it down, but you will have time where you are not entertained and not distracted. And it's a great time to, to plan your experiments. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, you can kind of say treat a burden like a gift. You yeah. know, how often are you just going to have 
quiet time in a dark room to, you know, figure out what you're going to do. You know, yeah, once, it, once those mind. kids are three and four years old, you're not going to have that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it changes. Yeah, I have I have a, a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old, and that quiet time period has disappeared. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so time in the car to think. That's it. After you've dropped them <laughs> off. Uh, so what else, Vivian? What other, what other advice do you have or things have you learned? One thing I will say that's very practical and like you were just saying, I think this applies to anybody, not just um, want-to-be or soon-to-be parents. It's that you should apply for any fellowship or funding opportunities uh, for which you are eligible as soon as possible. And did you do that? I did. So in my program, anyone who is eligible is required to apply to the National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellowship Program. I'm going to pat myself on the back and say that it is the most prestigious graduate fellowship that one can get. So it's competitive, but um, I really set my sights on that. And I worked very, very hard on my application, even to the detriment of one of my rotations, but it's fine. I wasn't going to go into her lab anyway, but I was lucky enough. Did you get the money? I did. Oh, I did. Congrats. I, I, I swiped it. Yeah. Josh will play the uh, horn noise sound effect for you. <laughs> I will. <laughs> now, that's a big deal. That I can see how that would be especially important, you know, going into a big change like becoming a parent. Yeah, so how did this yes. how did this benefit you other than the fact that it made your PI not have to pay for you? Um it so it meant that um well one, it made me feel really like it made me feel really good about myself. Like I was like, oh, Yes, I, I can do this grad school thing. Like, um, somebody else thinks I'm smart, so I do deserve to be here. Nice so confidence I think that's, booster, yeah. It was a big confidence booster, um, at least for a while. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's still, it's to this day. <laughs> and then you saw that gel band. And, <laughs> yeah, there and I was like, damn. Um, that's where Hello PhD came in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys saved me. So... Um, so that was good. Confidence boost, always helpful. Um, but it also gave me a lot of flexibility. Um, so I got, I got the award in April and, um, the funding wasn't going to become available until I think September. And I opted to, um, to like delay the start of the fellowship so I think this is probably the same at other institutions, but I think you're required or you're like your institution is required to provide you six weeks of paid maternity leave, possibly. At least that's the way it was for my university. So I decided to delay starting my fellowship and, and still take advantage of that six weeks paid leave. And then it just gave me a lot of flexibility so that like I wasn't using my fellowship money while I was sitting at home with a baby. That's smart. And your PI has a harder time complaining, right? When Absolutely. When you're bringing your own money, you're working on your own time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that didn't, that didn't completely stop him from complaining when sure, um, my, sure. my funding just, the, so the fellowship just ended this February. And so now the heat's like, back oh. on you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I haven't had to pay for this person for four years. Um, but, uh, you know, I think he eventually saw the light and realized what uh, cheap labor I had been for for a few years. <laughs> yes, that's great. Work hard on getting your own funding and yes. never worry about your time in lab again, right? Yeah, I think that it's an important thing to do for, if you know, for any grad student because um, 
actually, when I when I was doing interviews for this program, I was being walked around campus with a um, chap- student chaperone, and they, peop- the professor or director of the program had actually advised us to ask these chaperones, like, what are things you don't like about this program? Um, or what are some negative experiences you've had? Because that's a really important thing to realize is, you know, as we all know now, uh, that graduate school is not just all like puppies and rainbows. Um, Depends there are on a lot if you're in the really... puppy and rainbow department. Uh, yes, Or if you use true. puppies as an animal model. That's, oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's so terrible. Oh, no. That would not be better. <laughs> Grad that school was all puppies for me. <laughs> and I'll never sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut that out. Please don't. Um, but, uh, you know, there, like we all know that there's some really dark, hard times and it's, um, it's important to get perspective on those things and to know that you should expect some of those things. Um, and anyway, so the student chaperone said, you know, um, uh, I had just so in the first couple of years of our program, the first year or two, you're on a training grant from the NIH and that's awesome. But then you have to transition off of that onto your PI's grants. And um, she had joined a lab, and when she got off of the training grant, suddenly there wasn't any money for her um, with her PI's grant. And so there was, like, a high likelihood that she would have to leave. Like, I don't think that she there was something like she wow. couldn't find another lab. But it was basically, like, her, the way she painted it, at least, it was like her um, grad school career was in jeopardy because of money. So she said she really emphasized, like, you just never know what's going to happen with funding, you know? And we, I think we all know that, whether we've experienced it personally or watched somebody else go through it, it happens. Um, it's a crapshoot sometimes. And uh, so she just said, she was just saying, like, look out for yourself. If you have an opportunity to apply to something, do it. Those are great times to practice writing and selling yourself. Not an, not an easy thing to do when you have terrible imposter syndrome, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely not. I want to ask, one of our questions came from a father-to-be, which is, I I think a lot of what you said will apply to him about how he uses his time. But are there things that apply specifically to women who are carrying a baby? I know a lab is not the safest place on earth. Uh, I dealt with a lot of toxic substances. Did you worry about that at all? I did. Um, So what I found, actually, and I can send, there's an article that was written, I was interviewed for an article a couple of years ago, and it was just published. So I can send it to you guys um, after we're done. And it might be worth um, reading it for women who are um, looking to get pregnant and want to understand what are the things we need to be looking out for in the lab. But so what I learned and talk about in that article is that there's very little information out there on um, what is dangerous uh, or acceptable in a lab for a pregnant woman. And uh, so I just kind of had to use my own, I even, I spoke with the environmental health and safety group at my university and, um, you know, they couldn't really tell me anything that I couldn't come up with on my own. For example, like, don't just open the UV box and stand there in front of it. Again, or, good you know, advice for like, everyone. Yeah, Life for lessons anybody. for all of us. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be licking that gel box is covered with ethidium bromide. It's so tasty. Know. Right, but yeah, isn't <laughs> so ethidium bromide a teratogen? There, there's yeah. some aspect of it that is dangerous, particularly for developing fetuses, right? Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, because it's a um, intercalator, DNA intercalator. It's not good for 
not good for DNA. Do not recommend. No. So I would say like um, you can look on the Internet and see what you can find, but also just, you know, use your knowledge as somebody who's uh, who works with chemicals and has to read the safety and data sheet. Ah, the MSDS. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just use common sense. So like for me, um, the way that my lab primarily collects tissue is by anesthetizing a mouse with isoflurane, which is a volatile anesthetic, and then perfusing them with paraformaldehyde. Um, to preserve the tissues that we then collect and process and analyze. Volatile anesthetics and paraformaldehyde are not things that anybody wants to be inhaling. And why most of the time those things are done either in a chemical hood or with special machinery to um, remove isoflurane from the air, from the environment. But when you're pregnant, your body, your physiology changes to allow the fetus to grow and prosper. And then, as we know, developing tissue is particularly sensitive to, to everything. Yeah. To everything. Yeah. Um, so you just really don't want to be putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be spending a lot of time with those chemicals. So for me, I made some changes. I basically chose um, chose a project or chose time points that allowed me to step away from isoflurane and not have to use it. I also opted to fresh freeze my tissue, which basically means removing the brain and then submerging it in liquid nitrogen or some other really cold liquid to freeze it. And then I can store it at minus 80. So that also removed me from exposure to paraformaldehyde. I also switched from using ethidium bromide to a non-toxic DNA marker. So there were things that um, I tried to do to protect myself. And I've had two healthy children with no... Uh, birth defects. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> the only other thing I'll say about um, as being a woman in the lab um, actually has to do with uh, after the child is born. And um, some people choose to um, breastfeed. Some people choose to use formula. As they like to say, fed is best. Doesn't matter how you do it. That is true. Better than not yeah. fed is true. Turns out yes. science better than starving. Yes. And then, you know, people make decisions about how long they want to do that. Um, some people will do it, you know, for the first six months. Some people will do it for years. Whatever you want to do is fine. Um, but understand if, you, if you're if you going to be going back to work, and this kind of dovetails with the work smarter, not harder thing, you need to plan um, for time that you're going to take to go breast pump um, and get milk to feed your child. And uh, so not only do you need to think about, like, when is that going to fit into my day, but you also need to think about where it's going to be done and what kind of um, facilities you're going to need. Basically, you just need like a comfortable room um, with a lock and um, hopefully maybe a sink or um, a clean sink and like a mini fridge or something like that to store the milk. Now, a lot of people I know and in my building, it would have been this way if I had continued breastfeeding when uh, I went back to work. They would have to use the bathroom. There was no place for them to go. And I don't know how many people are that comfortable being in a public bathroom just to use the toilet. But you can imagine that when you've got all your paraphernalia and you've got this machine bleeding next to you, um, that that's really not a comfortable place to be. And in order to really get the best yield while you're pumping, you need to be relaxed. You need to be comfortable. So I would say ahead of time, you know, you're not going to necessarily know what your decision is about how long you want to breastfeed because there are many other things that are going to play into that. But, you know, ask around, see if there are facilities or where you're going to have to go. Because for me, I would have had to walk to another building. So I would say just 
kind of start thinking about that and uh, plan ahead. Yeah, because and, that and can ask that can be it. difficult. Right. Yeah, yeah, That's just right. ask. Yeah, I know. I know at our institution, there's been um, luckily a lot of progress over the last five years in uh, more and more buildings on campus having pumping rooms, and I think the goal is actually to have one in every uh, in every building. And there's actually a map online that you can look at. Um, oh, that's smart. To find to find the places. Um, yeah. But you're right. I mean, it's it's a really infuriating thing that that these days that's something a woman can't easily find um, yeah. at her place of employment. Yeah. Uh, and conversely, um, how many men's bathrooms have you been in that have diaper changing stations? Not Yeah, many. not a lot. It, it happens, and, but rarely, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, it does happen, but like, I, yeah, I mean, not that I spend much time in men's yeah, restrooms. Yeah, how many have you been in? That's right, how many have you seen? <laughs> Zero. Not many more than us, probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the best. You go to the restaurant, yeah. honey, could you take the baby? Because I just can't. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. totally one in there. You're like, oh, I wish there was one in there. She doesn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> can't do it. Can't do it. I would Hands if I are could. Tied. Well, Vivian, we, uh, so this has all been really, really great information. I think, I think this is going to be fantastic for. Again, like we said, all of our listeners, whether they're thinking about starting a family while in graduate school or maybe I think we'll probably have some listeners who are pregnant now who are wondering, mm. how am I going to make this work with grad school or my postdoc? Yeah. And I think this will give a lot of advice and comfort. Um, yeah, I but, hope so. But also my hope is even even folks who don't have kids yet or don't want to have kids, but that they'll be able to take something from this to help them in their training too. Yeah, I think it's so helpful to hear from people who have been through it and survived it. And I think your advice right at the beginning that if this is something you really want for your life, you've got to do it, you know, and and the time of life, there's no time in life where it's going to be convenient and easy. So pick the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have a, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends while I was in grad school, and we started at the same time in, in our lab. And her kids were, I think, in elementary and middle school when she started grad school. And, you know, now we're both at a similar point in our career, but I have kids in in daycare and her kids have moved out of the house and she's got a nice salary with a real job and no kids to take care of anymore. So so I think Mm. there's benefits to the timing no matter what you decide to do. That's true. Yeah, there's there's always a silver lining. Any final thoughts, anything we missed? Um, well, yeah, I'll just, I'll leave you guys with a kind of like 30,000 foot view tip, I guess, that I find very helpful, which is just to figure out what success means to you, given your unique situation. Before kids, uh, you might have been in the lab, you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, that's not going to be possible when you have kids. But as we know, if you work smarter, not harder, you can be just, if not more productive. And I think that uh, in addition to that, we have this idea that um, in graduate school, you're going to, you know, going to work really hard and you get lots of like exciting, uh, sexy data. And then you're going to like write like a ton of papers and your dissertation is going to be amazing. And, you know, you have all these big ideas. But I think at the end of the day, you are there to get trained, get your data, write your paper, write your dissertation. It's going to be solid. It's good. And move on. And so that's, for me, that's what success is. And I think that it was a little bit of a, you know, it's difficult to accept that, that there was that going to be that transformation of what success means to me. But I definitely recommend to people just to sit down and have a think about that. And what are you going to accept as a successful career in graduate school? 
Amen. And great advice for every grad student and postdoc is just you are forced to think about it as a new parent. Yeah, I was going to say every tip that you guys have on this show, it's just like instead of making it an option to boost your success, just make it a requirement and then you'll be fine. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Vivian. This has been amazing. I'm so glad we finally got the chance to connect. And thank you for the Malbec recommendation. It's quite good. Yeah, I'm enjoying it, too. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm going to pour another glass, and the good news is there's plenty more. There's just (laughs) 3.75 more (laughs) bottles left in there. Vivian, have a good night, and thank you. Thank you. You guys, too. Talk to you later. Dan, that was great. I really enjoyed our conversation with Vivian. That was great, Josh. How can people reach out if they have a question? Yeah, so if you have a question or a topic idea, we would love to hear it. You can email us at podcast at hellophd.com. Send us a tweet at HelloPhD or leave us a message on our Facebook page. If you like the show, we would love it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. We enjoy getting the feedback and it helps new listeners find the show. If you'd like to support the show, just like Joe did, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, HelloPhD.com, click the Become a Patron button, or you can visit Patreon.com slash HelloPhD, and we would appreciate the beer or boxed wine money. Excellent, Josh. I see uh, you're going for another glass of that Malbec. Must be a a favorite. Yeah, actually, uh, during Vivian's interview, this box is sitting right next to me, so I just reached over and filled it up. So dangerously convenient. I have no idea how much I've had. (laughs) We'll see you next time. See you next time.